0: You know, I've been to 158 lifeboat stations now, and it's one of my proudest things of all. You forget the photographs, forget the audio recordings I make and all the other work that I do. One of my proudest things of all is that I've been accepted by 158 communities around the coast who have all warmed to the project, got behind it and supported it and given me their time. Jack Lowe. I'm a documentarist and RNLI super fan since childhood. Well I was eight or nine years old when my grandmother said that she had a camera for me, and it was her it was her mother's Kodak Instamatic camera. So my great-grandmother's camera. And I I looked at it and knew what it was and knew what it would do. And it was just a case of doing what we did in those days, which was go to the chemist, buy some film, uh, which was like, you know, a cassette film that went in the back of this Instamatic camera. And I snapped away my first photographs and then had to take it off to the chemist again to be processed. And in those days, we had to wait seven to ten days for the film to come back. So it was all those moments of anticipation. And then they then they're presented to you in an envelope by the you know that over the counter and hurriedly open them because they've been so expensive to have processed and you realize that most of them most of them are rubbish. <laughs> um, and uh, but nevertheless you pick yourself up, dust yourself down and keep taking more until they get better and better and there were there used to be these oval low quality stickers that were put on the on the photographs. That would tell you how you got it wrong. And in the first packets they'd come littered with these oval stickers on the on the photograph saying blurry, try holding the camera steady or using a tripod or whatever it happens to be, underexposed, overexposed. And the more experienced I got, the fewer those stickers became. So it was a, it was a thrill though, you know, it's a it was a ball that I, I ran with and I always knew from those early days that I wanted to be a photographer. When I was a little bit older, I was I was visiting my father on the Isle of Wight. He lived on a boat, and one day he said, Do you want to go to the RNLI Base in East Cows? And I didn't even know what he was talking about. But I knew that I'd seen lifeboats and that lifeboats were really cool. And we went for a wander around and I sat in a, an Atlantic twenty-one at the helm with my hands on the throttle. But that was the moment that I became hooked. And then I would see the Yarmouth lifeboat on BBC South today going out to the Needles Lighthouse to deliver the Christmas supplies to the lighthouse keepers. You know, in the is in those days of manned lighthouses. Uh, and I just thought it was so cool. And so combine those two obsessions, photography and then lifeboats, I knew I wanted to be a photographer and I knew that one day I wanted to be a lifeboat volunteer. So fast forward to more adult life, and being swept up in the machinations of life, you know, growing up, children, trying to earn a living, and getting to a point in my mid to late 30s where I thought, hang on a minute, what's happened to all those burning passions of old? I'd always worked in photography, but I'd reached a point in life where I knew I needed to make something special, and to bring my own photography back to life. And... And I wondered what that special thing would be, and I knew that I was going to take my time to think about it. And it took a good couple of years before I realised that, the like so many of the best ideas, they're right under your nose all along. And I looked back to my childhood and thought about the things that floated my boat in those days, uh, which weren't just lifeboats and photography, It's other things like Lego, model railways and building things, and... I thought, hang on a minute, photography, lifeboats, the sea, I can surely do something with that. And, you know, even then I didn't have the idea. I, you know, these, were, these were words written down on a piece of paper. And then one day I was drinking a cup of tea in our kitchen where we have the famous r tea towel, the map of all the lifeboat stations, pinned to the, pinned to the kitchen door. And suddenly I just saw it with fresh eyes. You know, within the context of this piece of paper where I'd written down those words, I saw that map with fresh fresh eyes and it came to me in a moment. I wonder if anybody has ever traveled to every single RNLR lifeboat station and documented it as one body of work. And because we have the wonders of the internet these days, um, I could soon find out that that hadn't been done. Uh, And so that was the twinklings of the Lifeboat Station project. As I nurtured the idea and brought it to fruition and and achieved the blessing of the RNLI as well in the process to make the project, I, I knew I had to make a framework around which to build the project, around which to build this story around this map, you know, this huge coastal jigsaw. So I thought again, back to my childhood, thinking about the coxswain, you know, the figure of the coxswain being this heroic person dressed in yellows uh, who's going to go out at a moment's notice and help anybody in trouble at sea. So I knew I needed to photograph the coxswain. And I also wanted to photograph the crew, of course. And... The original idea of the lifeboat station project though was to photograph the boathouse views, so to photograph the view from every lifeboat station door of the scene that was waiting for a lifeboat crew as they're about to launch into into the ocean and the notion of that would be that if you imagine all the photographs in geographical order around a gallery space, it, the sensation for the viewer would be that you would be looking around the entire coastline of the UK and Ireland. So that was the framework that I set out with. But then furthermore, I wanted to make the work in an engaging way. You know, if I did it digitally, then that would have been still a good idea. But I would be just hopping from station to station with a digital camera in my hands and people would perhaps feel so connected to the work that I was making because quite frankly that's what lots of other people are doing not to denigrate that is just why reinvent the wheel in many ways so again you know I always I always want to bring something special to the party and I looked back in photographic history to a process that produced the finished piece on site And not only that, but within minutes, you know, it's a very immediate process. And that took me back to 1851, to the first mainstream photographic process. So in short, when I'm working on the coast to the framework of boathouse views, coxswains and crews, I'm also working as the Victorians used to in the 1850s, making, you know, hand making my photographic film on glass so that the... People who've participated in making those portraits and photographs generally can see the finished result right there and then. It's a very special thing. So working in this way is very demanding. It's a very physical process, and it means that I have to have darkroom facilities to hand. So in this instance, it means a mobile darkroom, which is Nina, my decommissioned NHS ambulance converted into a darkroom I don't know if I should elaborate as to why she's called Nina or just leave listeners guessing as to why she's called Nina, having just told you that it's a a decommissioned NHS ambulance. So I I need to have Nina, my mobile darkroom, parked very close to wherever I'm making the photographs because I prepare the film within Nina, within the, the darkroom at the back. And... I need to then carry that film to the camera and load it on the back of the camera to make the exposure. Once the exposure's made, I need to march back to the darkroom to process it. And you can imagine if there's a, a cliff face or a, or a lifeboat pier involved, that could be a lot of marching in one day just for one photograph. Benbridge, for example, on the Isle of Wight, the longest lifeboat pier, that's a kilometre of walking, I think, per photograph because I have to go backwards and forwards four times. And what it essentially means is that I can show people the photograph being made. And what I remember most about these experiences, from my point of view, is the anticipation. I can feel people thinking, what on earth is going on? (laughs) And I tell them to look here, look there, make sure you've got your eyes over my shoulder for this bit and then we open the door because we've been working in safe light conditions, you know, in red light, safe light conditions in the dark room, I can open the door of Nina and I can do the last bit in daylight which is to pour fixer over the glass plate and suddenly it appears to switch from negative to positive and it blows people's minds and it's created instant hugs, tears, disbelief at what we have just done together. And, you know, because this isn't all my doing. I see it as a collaboration with the lifeboat volunteers. I'm I'm unable to make this work unless they're on side with me. Because after all, they give so much time to lifeboat volunteering already, to the to the station and to the community. And there I am asking for yet more time to make these photographs that aren't just flashes in the pan. They're, you know, about 45 minutes to an hour each time. And the rewards are great. You know, I think sometimes people are thinking at first, you know, what on earth is happening here? And then they realise why I'm doing it. And it's, it's very moving all around. And, you know, the glass plates, they're beautiful things. They really are. But what they, in essence, become... Is a memento of a beautiful experience. I think when people look at the photographs, yes, they'll see a wonderful thing, a wonderful object to look at. But if they were there on that day, what they'll do, particularly if they're with somebody, describing the photograph to them, they won't describe the photograph. They'll describe the day that guy came in his mobile darkroom and made these beautiful photographs with all of us, and what a nice time we had. I hope and you know, I've been to 158 lifeboat stations now. And it's one of my proudest things of all. You forget the photographs, forget the audio recordings I make and all the other work that I do. One of my proudest things of all is that I've been accepted by 158 communities around the coast who have all warmed to the project, got behind it and supported it and given me their time. You know, it's no mean feat alone. I think to be accepted by all of those people from such different walks of life because sometimes on the li- on the coast you just have to travel a mile away to the next lifeboat station, and life at that lifeboat station in that in that community is very different to where you've just been so I always go in i always go in as a zero you know I always go in at ground level I'm never the big I am you know Jack Lowe and the lifeboat station project I always go in starting from zero each time so that I'm hopefully accepted by each community each time. And it's stood me in good stead so far. I think when I first set out on the journey, I didn't really know what I'd find because I, like many other people, had this impression of what a lifeboat volunteer was, you know who a lifeboat volunteer is. And the one thing that really has struck me and will always stay with me is a core ethos that seemingly no matter who I come into contact with, they they in those moments they devote that time to you. they're there for you. And once you're in the R family, as it were, there's a general knowing that you can go to any lifeboat station and you'll be accepted because they know who you must be to be within the RNLI community. You you know, they know that you must be a a certain kind of person. And I think that's one of the most impressive things of all is that that it's the selflessness, that each person is there to, as I say, each person is there for you in those moments. Nothing is more important than you in those moments. And that reflects in the life-saving work that they do. You know, that somebody's willing to drop everything at a moment's notice to go and help somebody they don't even know. And that's what I experienced firsthand in a very different way as I went around the coast. Well, the work can always be seen at at lifeboatstationproject.com. I consider the the website to be part of the project. You know, it isn't just a website, it's a living archive of the Lifeboat Station project. So people can always see the work there and listen to snippets of audio recordings and see little films, uh, a couple of documentaries about the project. And in 2024 is a fantastic example of how people can see the work to coincide with the RNLI's 200th anniversary with a huge show at the National Maritime Museum in Greenwich, that will be on for 10 months throughout 2024, which is a very proud moment for me and for the project because really it was always the pinnacle for me, has always been the pinnacle for me to see the work at such a a hallowed institution um, that really encapsulates the maritime heritage of the UK and Ireland. Hello, this is Joanna Scanlon. You've been listening to the RNLI's 200 Voices collection. To hear more remarkable stories, head to rnli.org slash 200 voices or subscribe to RNLI wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.